reached Shark Brain, the podcast about creativity, about creative types, how they live, how they move, how they breathe, how they got from where they were to where they are. I'm your host, Jake Newton. Thank you so much for tuning in, turning on, putting me in your ears. Uh, this is episode 21. We've got a pretty good run going here. On the show this week, we've got my college roommate and current stand-up comedian in Los Angeles, Scott Lures. Some of you may know him from around the alternative scenes here in Los Angeles or from open mics or just, hey, if you're listening from and we're a friend from college, hey, it's been a while. Haven't, haven't talked to you in a bit. I don't know who you are specifically, but uh, I think that pretty much covers most of my college friends. Haven't talked to them in a bit. And I got to admit, I was a bit nervous about this conversation because it had been a while since Scott and I had, had gotten into a long form tete-a-tete with each other. But it was good to it was good to catch up, and it was uh, it was good to remember uh, why we hung out and, and were such friends. Uh, and I think we're, we're I think you know I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think we're probably gonna hang out more. It had been at least six years since I had seen him before. I I think that we're gonna I think we're gonna do it. I think we're gonna we're gonna not say it, but we're actually gonna you know enact it. You know you know what you're talking about the, the people that you say we should we should hang out. We should do the thing. You know we barbecue sometimes. What, what if we all barbecue? What if we ate food together? We could eat eat food together. We should do that. And then you never do. I don't think that's going to be the case in this particular instance. I think we're actually going to reconnect, become old buds again. But yeah, again, like I said, I was nervous about this because I, I didn't really have a very good college experience. And I want to, before I get too deep into the talk, um, make a few... Um, make a few caveats about this conversation. I still have a lot of vitriol about where I went to college, and I think it's very silly of me to have that. I've been processing it. Even even after listening to this interview over again, I'm continuing to process what I've been going through with that. I went to a liberal arts college that was a Christian liberal arts college, and I have a, a huge story in the back of my mind about what that represents and about, uh, about what, uh, what buttons that triggers within me. Now, uh, I, I I want to I want to put it out there and say that there were people at the college that I went to that absolutely made my life better and and opened me up to a whole new form of things. Professors there and and, and other students there, but by and large, as far as like uh, the, the structure of the school goes, I, it was a lot of authority that I wasn't willing to accept on. I've never been good with authority. There's that one part in uh, Annie Hall where he rips up his driver's license in front of the policeman. Any of you know that? No, anyone? Yeah, that that's me. I just, um, I, I'm not angry about it. I'm not going to fucking fight you, but I just, there's, I have a huge problem with authority, especially when that authority is condescending and doesn't have any idea who, uh, directed wild strawberries or, or isn't literate in a certain sense. If it's somebody that is closed off from the world and thinks that they know better than I do when really they don't have anything to contextualize it with. And they can't tell me that my sadness isn't real. They can't tell me that my heavy heart isn't, is just not in line because I should, I should be following a certain path that they've set out. When people do that to me, it drives me absolutely wild because there's a width and breadth to human experience. And when you block yourself off from that, Okay, I'm going on a bit of a tangent, guys. This I, this is part of what I've been talking about. I can just get so down the rabbit hole with this thing, and I'm working it out. And I should say, Mom and Dad, I know you listen. Um, don't worry about me and and, and the way that you raised me or anything like that. Just I I love you guys. I I love God, but I'm going. I go through certain things with certain authority figures on this earth, especially when it's a, at a Christian liberal arts college. Now. Oh. And I should also make a caveat that uh, certain professors there, um, you know who you are if you get a chance to listen to this. 
you fed, you fed and clothed me too. Uh, and you tried to patch me up after all just being broken by the world. Ah. Now, a lot of you don't know, have any idea what I'm talking about. A lot of you didn't, weren't born and raised in a, in a Christian home. You weren't, or a religious home of any sort. And you went to state school and you partied relatively guilt-free. You tried to avoid the pitfalls of alcoholism and drinking a Rufinol drink or just becoming a general asshole. That, those were the, the berms that you tried to avoid in your slalom down to a four-year degree. I had a personal breakdown. I don't talk about it very much, but I think around the second year of my college, I, I just became immensely and incredibly depressed. And I couldn't get out of bed. I didn't like it. I was spending the majority of uh, my time in either acting classes in the college with one professor that I loved, trying desperately to avoid all other courses, or I was uh, I was in in Los Angeles trying to get auditions, trying to I couldn't take college anymore. So I'm not recommending, uh, as I'm as I might say in the end of this interview with Scott, that you, you don't go to college. But I will say go to college because you want to go to college. Don't go to college because you think that you should and you think it's the next step. That is, if you're <laughs> if you're a teenager or a young 20-something and you haven't made that decision yet. If you're an adult, you're already done. Yeah. I mean, unless you want to go back to college. In which case, go back to college because you want to go back to college, not because you think that it's just going to somehow open up some doors to you. Speaking of going back to college, I... Um, those of you who don't or haven't heard about it, there's this site called edX, and what they offer is a consortium of different uh, different colleges that offer these online courses. And I took one uh, a couple months ago from Harvard. Uh, it was it was Puritan poetry, I think it was. I see that, that's how much I was. Let me let me go back to the actual coursework and, and get the exact name. Poetry in America. There it is. Poetry of Early New England. And basically, it was uh, it was taught online by a Harvard professor. And I thought that I I should take this because it would expand my mind and it would it would make me smart. It would open up that which was closed once I, I left college. And uh, I got to be honest with you, I was bored out of my mind. And I kept on trudging through because I thought that I should do this. I, sh- I should, I should like this. This is poetry. I'm a, I'm an arty guy, um, but it was all poetry by the Puritans, and so all those buttons came up. Just religious oppression, and a, a different time, a different set of rules, a different verisimilitude, a different, a, a different paradigm. I, I don't know why I was doing it. We've got a, a finite amount of time on Earth, and I don't know why I was trying to be impressive to myself. So I had that moment of going, "What? Why are you doing this? Why? Why are you studying puritanical? What, why? Why are you studying pilgrim poetry? What? It's not Nathaniel Hawthorne. It was a little bit of that, but most of it was just absolutely mind-numbing to me. And I am not knocking it. I'm sure that somebody out there really, really loves." Uh, those couplets, you know, and, and they wear the buckle hat on their head and they do the whole thing. But look, it's okay. I gave myself permission. I said, it's fine if you don't want to be this impressive, arty guy. You can just be a dude that likes watching Family Guy. So take that. Yeah, I'm a troglodyte. Yeah, I'm a plebeian. Using fancy words to knock myself. But in all honesty, uh, 
we put ourselves through a lot of rigmarole. We've got a narrative that we try to live up to many times. And I think that the world would be a much better place if we were able to actually honestly take a stark view above ourselves, look at ourselves for what we like to do and what we want to be and not who we think, feel like we need to project ourselves onto. I mean, in all honesty, it boggles my mind how many times I've run into fellow singer-songwriters, fellow artists of all different stripes, shapes, and creeds who want to build a narrative around themselves and feel that it's absolutely necessary to omit certain truths, that they just become this idea that can flow into something and drop little nuggets of truth without actually revealing any of the process for it. Now, I, I, I understand that there was a time and place for that, and I've talked about this uh, many times. I think I talked about it last week. It's something that's ruminating over and over in my, again in my mind, partially because, you know, hey, I worry sometimes. I worry that maybe I share too much with you guys. I know that you guys like to hear it. I know I like saying it, and that should be enough of a, of, of a process, enough of a reward in and of itself, enough of a, a, it's self-evident that it's a good thing to do. To share yourself with other people, not to, not to close yourself off and to only allow a certain, certain prism to be formed through things. But does that mean I'm ruining the mystique? Do you guys have a hard time listening to my music, knowing that I spent too much at Costco this week? Is that a thing? I don't know the right answer. I know it's working for me. I'm trying to chase down my own, my own path in that regard. And it was very interesting bringing in my buddy Scott. Because he hadn't seen me in 10 years, really. I hadn't seen him in 10 years. So we were able to reconnect and, and, and figure out the new perspective, what L.A. has done to us over the last 10 years. It was really good. Uh, listen for, till the end of this podcast because Scott is always uh, playing shows, hosting shows, and he's got a regular one out in Covina. He's got a regular one in here in Echo Park. Uh, he'll go through the details of that. But, uh, yeah, a lot of heavy themes this week, folks. It's it's a good thing, but I want you to uh, I want you to ma- remain open hearted about this one. It's a good one. We might get a little self indulgent. That's just naturally what happens when you have two people who have who shared a lot of history and uh, and haven't seen each other in a long time. There was a bit of catch up on this one, but afterwards he stayed. We uh, hung out on the porch, uh, talked some more, caught up about a few people. You know, did the tally. Who's still around? It's getting to that point. Um, but yeah, yeah. Take a listen to it. Really dug this. We got Scott Lures on the one and the only Shark Brain. Yeah. Um, it's a. Uh, yeah, I I've really enjoyed doing it, man. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. You reaching out for and uh, talking to me about it was really cool because uh, I don't know. I started uh, listening to, to your podcast. I did a couple of them just as a musician, being interviewed uh-huh. for records and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I was just I would just listen to Marin and listen to Nerdist and listen to all these guys, you know, getting into the deep hard shit about you know. Yeah, uh, and I I craved it, I guess. So. Yeah, I mean, now every single person in the world has one, though. <laughs> I think it's pretty hilarious that we both had podcasts. Like, yeah. I was thinking, uh, like, someone at APU, like, I don't know, do we not acknowledge that place? No. Oh, we, have to, we, we have to acknowledge yeah, it. Yeah, I guess we, okay, we, have yeah. To, we have to get into the, uh, yeah, the okay, nitty-gritty so of that, too. Someone, like, one of our RAs or something should have come in and be like, if you two assholes don't get your shit together, <laughs> in 13 years, you're both going to have podcasts. <laughs> 
That's absolutely true. Man. We would not have known how sad that would be. Yeah, but, I know. I'd, I'd have thought, like, you know, oh, that's just a little bit too. I mean, like, like come on, we're going to be better than that. We're not going to be renting homes and you know, like, <laughs> like hating the first and the fifteenth of every month. We're going to at least have a little bit set aside. I mean, I personally was going to be the second coming of Marlon Brando, sans fat. You know. See, I never. I'm the kind of guy that's never really considered his future. Still think yeah. I'm not. <laughs> like, uh, so I never really have been able to see where it was going to end up being. Like, yeah. I can't even believe that I'm, what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Like, well, dude, I, I remember when you got out of college, we, we connected up a, a brief bit, and you had moved back to New Jersey to work for your friend's uh, glass company? Yeah, my, 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 my like, good friend from church, his dad owned a glass company, and uh-huh. I went to work for him. Okay. Uh, like, assistant manager of the glass company. It was, uh-huh. like, a pretty sweet job, but, yeah. like, it was in my, like, basically my hometown. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was the, the homecoming thing that you do to kind of, you know, well, I guess I'm going to start. Wow. Yeah, no, when I graduated college, I was like, oh, I don't want to be an accountant, that's for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. the first thing I knew, when I was an accounting major, so mm-hmm. yeah. that was going to be a problem. And then, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I was like, well, I'm severely in debt, mm-hmm. and uh, can't get a job out here, mostly because I was just living with, like, our friend Travis, mm-hmm. and partying a lot, you yeah. know, and not really caring. So uh, I was like, mm-hmm. I'll just go home, take this job, figure out life. Yeah. And then three years goes by, and I'm like, I gotta yeah. get out of here. Yeah, I understand. Well, let's go back a little bit, man. You were, you grew up in Ringo's, right? Was it uh, born and yeah. raised? Oh yeah, the village of Ringo's. Yeah, uh, it's like four thousand people. Yeah, small town in Jersey. Yeah, uh, you're my- mentioning that your butt. Your I remember way back. This is this is drawing. I should I should mention before anything else, uh, and I'm gonna probably put this in the opener mm-hmm. that we were you know, college roommates. So that's why uh, I know yeah. all this stuff. And I'm just picking it out of the ether. I'm not a mind reader. They linked us up together. My first memory. I was trying to remember that all that stuff in a. I think my first memory is like your car breaking down on the way to the Get Up Kids show. <laughs> I'm having to push it on yeah. 101. It was like a yellow car. Yeah, maybe? yeah, it was a Volkswagen yeah. Fox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah, it, it was overheating, and I didn't know what that was. I just knew that like smoke was billowing out from underneath it, and if we stopped for a while and just ignored it, which is kind of my philosophy and ethos for the, my entire existence up until uh-huh. then, just stop and ignore it for a while, and things will calm down. You know, it was very much like uh, the ostrich yeah. style. I think that was the first time I've been on traffic and mm-hmm. in the 101 as well. Like, yeah. I I I never seen that before. The one on one at five o'clock. No, you know? I, and uh, we were just you know uh, like just a couple of rubes from parts unknown, not never having yeah. been there. Just kind of going like, well, I mean, we just we got to make it to the show, uh-huh. so we'll allow a lot, you know, whatever it says, you know, sixty <laughs> miles per hour. Oh, like map quests. Yeah, yeah. Oh, printing it out with. I mean, you and, never had the the color. Uh, and they didn't. Yeah, and also they didn't factor traffic or anything. No, so no. just straight up mileage. Yeah. yeah, just sitting there. We had no idea what we were doing, and no. then I don't even. Did we make it to the show? We made it to the show. We just uh, inched along. Um, mm-hmm. I think we, yeah, like down Hollywood Boulevard, maybe 20 or 30 miles per hour. And then, uh, and then I'm just waiting until it got cool enough in the evening. Yeah. And that was a, that was a wild one. I, that, I went to the night before that too. That was where those, the, that girl put her hand in my pants. That was a weird one. At the show? At the show, yeah. Thinking, no, I, I don't think, remember this story. Uh, she was thinking that uh, I was her boyfriend behind her because it was so packed down in the, in the uh-huh. pit. And she just reached back and then hand, you know, and then like. Oh, okay. So it wasn't a girl you brought with you. No, 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 no. It was just like, <laughs> it was so packed in there. And so she was thinking it was. Did you boyfriend. have a good line? And I, I didn't have You didn't anything. say anything? No, no. I was, I mean, I was a rube from Northern California. Yeah. I mean, I had one stoplight in my town. I was going to go, mm-hmm. oh, no, no place. No, my <laughs> special purpose. You know, I. I but anyway, uh, Ringo's, New Jersey. 
Yeah, it's a small. I mean, like New Jersey is all super small towns. Uh-huh. Uh, it was forty five minutes from Philadelphia mm-hmm. and an hour from New York City. Okay, uh, we rarely went to either of those metropolises. So <laughs> we went ten miles down the road to church uh, and thirty miles into Pennsylvania for school. Uh-huh. That was about it. Thirty miles into Pennsylvania for school. Yeah, I went to school in Pennsylvania at a Christian school. Okay, for my entire life. Yeah, and then into APU. Yeah, yeah, I did the same thing. Well, I, mm. except in high school, I did the uh, I, I, I the only high school that was there was a public school. But yeah, there was a weird thing about I don't know how your parents kind of approached it, but there's a weird microcosm in the the seventies, eighties, and nineties uh, where they said, "Listen, we can pretty much do culture ourselves, so we'll figure out whatever version there is in yeah. in the in secularism, and then just appropriate that, and that worked for uh, you know bands." For books, for any yeah. number of things, you know, for movies, McGee education. and me, yeah, and education as well. Yeah, I, uh, man, that's interesting. I, it's. Do you feel lucky that you went to public high school? Yeah, I do. I do feel. Yeah. I do feel unlucky that I went to Christian school and all the other respects. Yeah. I, uh, in high school, I tried. I made a list, like, mm-hmm. uh, and I was gonna have a big argument with my parents because I wanted to go to public high school. Uh-huh. The, the high school that I should have gone to was like a five star school. It was mm-hmm. one of the best schools in the country. Yeah, it had a uh, radio station run mm-hmm. by the students, <laughs> a TV station run by the students. Uh-huh. It had everything that you could uh-huh. ever want. Uh-huh. And uh, I made all this list of like, oh, I think like radio is really cool. It'd be mm-hmm. cool to like go there and get a show and like maybe I'd like to do that in the future. And my yeah. parents were like, no, like you're just <laughs> gonna go to this shitty Christian school <laughs> uh, that is constantly struggling to keep its accredit. What do you say? Accreditation? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, one of those. You know, there was always someone from the state coming yeah. by to make sure. <laughs> They'll do the clipboard check. <laughs> like things. the one day you heard about evolution. Yeah, exactly. And then, they, yeah. And then they're looking at the wall going, like, is that pipe always exposed? Mm. Mm. Check. And I think that's when I was like, oh, maybe creative stuff like doesn't matter. Maybe. Mm. I just put it aside. Yeah. And I never thought of it again yeah. until like a few years ago. Well, you came into school as a, an accounting major and you finished. Four I years. came into school as a computer science major. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And, uh, like very quickly into the first semester, I was just like, there was all these nerds, man. Yeah. It was like, it was like the, the like nerds you see on TV and, and cartoons. Like mm. they're arguing about operating systems. It was like Windows oh. Me was the hot thing at the time. <laughs> a lot of bugs, oh, a lot yeah. of problems. Yeah. Like a lot of kids on Razor scooters arguing about operating systems. <laughs> and this is like the same reason I quit my job in New Jersey. I, I, I looked, I was like, if I just spend the next four years with these yeah. people, I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. And when I was like at a pretty good job in New Jersey before I moved back out to LA, I was like, if I do this for the next forty years, I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. So I'm just gonna wrap your your yeah. mouth around the barrel of a gun. So I uh, I dove into accounting. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so remember, what was the, what was the impetus behind it? You thought like, hey, this is stable. What well, I it? just I went to the business school and you started taking the cu- classes. I took intro to accounting, mm-hmm. and it was a struggle for everyone in that class except for me and like. One or two other kids, mm-hmm. like we, it was just like super easy. It was just yeah. like easy math. Yeah. But everyone's struggling, and I was like, "Oh, this is easy, and I'm good at this." So yeah. like, I'm pretty lazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, well, like, oh man, don't you ever wish you took a year off? Well, actually, that's what I liked about you is that you got out and like actually yeah. started pursuing your dream. Yeah. Well, I I did want a gap year. I mean, I, I definitely needed a, an, a year to figure out my ass from the hole in the fucking ground, man. Yeah. I just, I mean. It's a strange thing to go to say, like, okay, listen, in order to be successful or in order to have some semblance of success or to feel that there's the dream that they build up within you, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they, you know, whatever that is, the, the committee in your head, the actual committee that's pushing you towards something. But you end up thinking in, uh, that 
in order to be successful, you have to immediately go to college and you have to know what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And God, no. I mean, I, I, I wish I'd like gone around Europe and, and knew, yeah. what, knew what the L'Arc de Triomphe looked like from in person, ate a croissant at 4 o'clock in the morning, hungover. I, I don't even wish I went to Europe. I just wish I moved to New York or Los Angeles or Austin yeah. or Portland or anywhere yeah. Yeah. at 18 and just got a job. Yeah. And then just started living like a normal person. Yeah. And then like you so quickly realize like, I like education is like college is a pretty much a huge joke. Oh yeah. It's yeah, the it, biggest joke. No, it, it's and especially at our college and I uh, I'm not going to besmirch it too much but I have a lot of strong like angsty still terrible roiling feelings about it because it was almost as if the there was this it was a four-year uh way to to babysit your kids before they actually went out into the regular world. And I remember feeling so yeah. much contempt for the authority that would live would glaze over when you'd actually ask the hard questions or feel the angst and, and just sitting there like we were the members of the cigarette club uh, in front of the... Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, I, you couldn't smoke on campus, so <laughs> after chapel... Go to the sidewalk directly next to the chapel, <laughs> in front of the sign. Yeah, in front of the sign, and then you know. Uh-huh. And I never, I was always, you know, I never could identify. I, I always even, felt like that was expressing freedom of speech. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And moment, we, yeah. we would, you know, if there was, you know, a spot for us to smoke on campus, mm-hmm. like in a corner, we would skip that to even just go to the sign and be able to go, like, yeah, yeah. we're doing this. Yeah. I feel like by not taking a gap year, though, and it, it doesn't just happen at APU; it happens everywhere. It's like. You go into school at 18, you're supposed to figure out what you want to do the rest of your life. Yeah. It's too much pressure, and you start partying. Absolutely. And then so college becomes your gap year. Absolutely. Like yeah. So you just, instead of traveling or doing anything cool, you just party like in fucking Covina yeah. for four years <laughs> in the mid- and yeah. think it's like the yeah. best thing in the world, although it was pretty fun. Like It was a blast. Yeah. I mean, like, but, I mean, the Inland Empire does pale in comparison to like maybe seeing the ruins of the of any Mediterranean empire yeah. you know you know how much uh, well also uh, the city was right there yeah and I rarely only for concerts yeah no, not for museums really not for mm-hmm. anything like just for like concerts but otherwise it's like oh it's, it's too far and, or it's, it was too confusing or kind of like I didn't know how to get around yeah we're talking, talking about like LA and probably but or, yeah, L.A. back then. Yeah, back like, th- we lived 30 miles from L.A. And, and it was just this massive behemoth. And you were, like, riding into the city and just mm-hmm. being terrified, like, immediately on your guard. Yeah, I had scared. no idea how to park, how to go yeah. anywhere. or And also no idea what to do. Yeah. You just park in Hollywood and then start walking around. And you're Wandering like, this place around. sucks. Yeah, like, this is terrible. Yeah. yeah. And you just go to record stores. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, you could just go to Best Buy or whatever and get the same stuff pretty much. Mm-hmm. There was almost no reason to go to L.A., but it's because I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. If I had known stuff, and also just gotten out of, you just got comfortable hanging out with people yeah in your college and then mm. i just ignored los angeles for yeah four years yeah well i think what we we fell in with a a very interesting crew especially in that particular um verisimilitude we had these guys that were a couple years ahead of us uh-huh. they were all you know into wes anderson films and like had had watched fellini and 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 were essentially you know prototypical hipsters and yeah. and so falling in with them and and you know partying with them and you know smoking cigarettes with them yeah. and having them loan us books on you know Nietzschean philosophy or any number of things you know that that distaste I remember like you know I like those guys but then I also fell in with another crowd as well mm-hmm. uh, and those crowds overlapped yeah but uh, I fell in with another group of people who and we all ended up living with briefly yeah. <laughs> and then I ended up continue living with and like who I still talked to like 
And you know what? They're all doing pretty good. Yeah. Like, they're all way more successful than me. Yeah. Well, there, there's a, a precursor. We should say that um, they there there's people that like, you know, like to party. And then there's people who mm-hmm. party so much that they get arrested. Uh-huh. And then, yeah. They, they, well, skirt with the law mostly. Yeah. Eventually, some arrests. But, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of skirting around with the law. Yeah. yeah. But it was like, it wasn't like you're going at, well, okay, there, there was a little bit of theft. But for the most <laughs> part, we were like, there was no like robbing or you weren't, yeah. we weren't trying to start shit with anybody but like things just happen because we're doing stupid stuff all the time yeah but i this group of people who are still like some of my best friends and like i live with chris holder right now Uh um i've lived with him for a few years and like a lot of my friends are still around but it's like these were the first people that i met that were like i was so afraid of getting in trouble for anything my Mm -hmm. entire life you know i was a huge pussy i didn't want to do anything wrong Mm -hmm. i never wanted to break like any rules where you get in trouble like drinking or anything like mm-hmm. that and then i found these group people who were like thought it was hilarious to do all that stuff <laughs> to the extreme absolutely and then it was like oh i finally feel like free yeah uh, and at the same time i was losing my faith like mm-hmm. th- that had started happening a couple years before so combine that with this it was just a powder keg of like mm-hmm. a pretty great time yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i do remember i i, I felt like uh the the Felix Unger of the whole crew uh, because I was like, you guys, yeah. bong water on the couch <laughs> and that kind of. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, to be honest, we probably, we never should have all moved in there together. No, it's, that's just, it was like, it was bound to happen. Yeah. And then I was like, part of me really believed when we all moved in. I was like, yeah, we could keep it chill. <laughs> it like shouldn't be that hard to keep it chill. I had a vivid memory of, uh, of one of our roommates coming home weeping openly bitterly mm-hmm. like a child like a child who had just watched its own puppy being eviscerated by a cold heartless machine wait was it me no it wasn't oh, you. Okay. Yeah, it was, uh no that narrows the field but, yeah. you know yeah. but, <laughs> and he and i i held up my arms like what's mm-hmm. going on like I, really, I honestly thought that somebody was hurt or something like that and it turns out he just you know he just gets sad sometimes <laughs> <laughs> but i got it it was it was the like these howls mm-hmm. were coming from him. i thought like dude where's scott where's everybody else did someone die did he watch somebody and, and woke up the next day huh. not a memory maybe he's on mushrooms he could have been something like that yeah, like, it could have been yeah yeah I mean, that sounds about right mm-hmm. you know the, the horrors that i yeah. have seen so to speak uh-huh. but yeah needless to say it didn't work out for me and then and, yeah and then, so you went all the way through. I'm, I'm still astounded that you went all the way through four years and just did. Uh, but Dude, means- like I didn't know that you were allowed to just stop going to college yeah. and start doing what you wanted to do, yeah. you just or even like really think about what you wanted to do. Like my dad worked his entire life for the same company. Basically, he got mm-hmm. out of Vietnam, got a job with a pharmaceutical company, worked there 35 years. Wow, retired. Wow. And, like, I just thought that this is the life you live, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, my parents lived pretty safe, you know? Like, yeah. we had no debt, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Like, everything was always paid on time. But they, so they didn't spend money extravagantly or anything. Mm-hmm. And, like, middle class or whatever, so you were fine on cash. But, like, most people in the middle class are in huge amounts of debt. Oh, yeah. No, they're up to their eyeballs yeah. with it. But your dad, did your dad instill with you, like, a certain sense my of mom. consciousness? Uh-huh. My mom. And she tried to. Yeah. And she failed. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, like I'm still paying off APU. Yeah. Oh, yeah. dude, I, I still have a few thousand dollars wait for that. You know? Yeah. Keep on, you know, letting them know, like, hey, here are my pay stubs from what I did from the yeah. last couple months. You can leave mm-hmm. me alone for a little bit. A degree I've literally never used. <laughs> I mean, like, man, it's hard to justify writing those checks. Yeah. I really, well, it really is, mm-hmm. man. But, I mean, at the same time, you get the life experience and, and yeah. that sort of thing. You try to make, you know, find mm-hmm. the silver lining, you know, make... Um, you know, a, a good thing about polishing a turd, so to speak. Um, but uh, when you when you went out back out there, you graduated mm-hmm. from 
from APU, and then you went back out to, to yeah. Jersey for three years, right? I you stayed were- there for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably would have left earlier, but I ended up getting a DUI there. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, oh, this will take a while to pay off. Yeah. And uh, also in New Jersey, this was like such a nightmare. Mm. And uh, I had not like really been in college, like drunk drove, drunk drove a bit, you know? Yeah. We all thought we were pretty good at it. Yeah. I have a story I tell on stage a lot about like, uh, I got pulled over wearing a California raisin bodysuit and an out <laughs> face mask. Like third year of college, I was underage. We got to all these bars, some kind of mansion party, you know, because it was college. Yeah. And like, uh, man, I like got away with it. Mm-hmm. Like they let me go somehow. Okay. I, I, and they breathalyzed me. It was like a point two one. Okay. Whoa. And I was 20 years old. Okay. And <laughs> I got, it was right in front of round table pizza. Like, oh. and I worked there. Yeah. One of the cashiers came out, like pulled my car in and they like, let me go. It was too busy of a night. Yeah. It was crazy. Uh, and like, so I didn't learn my lesson at all. Cause I was like, Oh cool. You get away with it every time. Yeah, Every time. But I had stopped after college, but it was just this like going away party for somebody then we went out at night. Then I walked home, got my car to go get cigarettes, mm-hmm. came back, and like, man, that just put life on hold. Yeah, uh, for a pretty long. Yeah. yeah. And then I. What'd you blow? Uh, point two one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're consistent. Yeah. It was a push, you know. Yeah. Uh, but like, I was working uh, at the glass shop. It's thirty miles away. Mm-hmm. There's no public transportation yeah. per se in this part of the of the state. So my. Uh, my friend's dad from church that I've known my whole life mm. had to drive a half hour out of his way oh. to pick me up and then another half hour to work. And he did it. Did it. Yeah. It's an, it's uh you lose your license for seven months. Oh dang. Yeah. Just automatically boom. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. That's the minimum. Yeah. Uh, no driving anywhere. No restricted license. I, I think they still did that out here. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't pushed my luck with that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and then right after, like pretty much right after, uh, I got my license back, like, Three months later, I quit. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt like a huge heel, but I was like, yeah. look, I got to get out of this you, place. You got it, man. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you were always a very funny guy. I would, you'd mm-hmm. always have me doubled over with laughter, you know, and and we uh, we would always trade CDs back and forth, you know, like the, the Lewis yeah. Black, um, you know, Brian Regan, I think was a huge thing when uh, freshman year of college. Were you, were you, given your limited exposure to, mm-hmm. I mean, given, you grew up in a Christian school, and I know exactly how that goes. You get limited exposure to culture. Yeah. So when did it start with, like, being obsessed with comedy? Um, Like, my senior year of high school. Like, mm-hmm. I, uh, that was the year I kind of stopped, kind of stopped believing in Christianity, mostly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I stopped hanging out with everybody from my Christian high school, because we weren't even really friends. Yeah. At that point, like, after 11 years, and there's a class of 40, yeah. you're, like, just cellmates, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I wasn't someone that made friends in jail. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You're so, the lone wolf. That- yeah. That was the one. I, I, would do, I mean, it was just like, we would sit at the lunch table and talk, but there was no real friendship. Yeah. And I lived too far away. We never hung out. So I, uh, there was a friend of mine from youth group and my youth group had fallen apart at this point too. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a friend of mine that went to the public high school I should have gone to. Yeah. And then I just started hanging out with all his friends. Yeah. And uh, then I just hung out at when the senior year was the, f- the first person to give me a Kurt Vonnegut book. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I was at my friend's house, my friend Sean Parrott's house, who is also now a comedian in Nashville, hmm. uh, which is kind of crazy. But the uh, Brian Regan 30 minute special came yeah, on, yeah, yeah. on Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I'd seen like stand up comedy. Yeah. Really? And, and then we went and saw him the next summer, like live. And that was the first comedian I ever saw. Yeah. Uh, and then my other friend uh, that I met through them turned me on to this radio show. Uh, out of New York called Opie and Anthony. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's oh, a yeah. total shock jack thing. Absolutely. But like, they also bring like the best comedians from New York City onto mm-hmm. the show and have them hang out for four hours. It's basically podcasting. Yeah. 
uh, in large part, but then they do all the shock jock shit. But like Patrice O'Neill was always on there. Mm-hmm. Like Patrice O'Neill was on there. Like you, there's literally hundreds of hours of him yeah. talking on that radio show. Uh, I gotta, but, I gotta get into it because I, I, I've, anything that he's put out, I've, yeah. I've just inhaled. Oh, he had a relationship show that he did on Sirius uh-huh. too for yeah. a little bit called Black Phillip. I'm not sure why it was called that, <laughs> but it would be the crazy thing. It would be women calling up so angry at him. Uh-huh. And then by the end of the conversation, they're like <laughs> agreeing with him or they're like, don't know what to think. <laughs> yeah, it was the best, but like they, that's why I got like Louis CK, Bill Burr, mm-hmm. Jim Norton, like David Tell, Colin Quinn, all these guys were always there. So I was just listening to like the best stand of comedy. I was like, that sounds like the dream life, but like, yeah. you're not allowed to do that. You no, know? no, that's just something that somebody else mm-hmm. does. You, you are an accountant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I was always like funny around, I always use humor to try and get friends because yeah. I had nothing else to bring to the table. <laughs> what do you mean, man? I don't know. Like, uh, I, I basically, my first real friends I got were like these group of guys, my senior year of high school mm-hmm. that didn't even go to, um, school with, you know? And then in college, like, I don't know. I just like turned on the yucks. I think yeah. <laughs> like pretty soon it was like, you can reinvent yourself when you get to college. You oh know? yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I was, I was the, uh, I was the funny Jim Carrey character in high school and yeah. I was, I was making people laugh and I was like the drama nerdy kind of a guy that would get up in front of everybody and, and do the Austin Powers bit at the, uh, at the, the halftime thing for, for school. But then when I got to college, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to smoke a lot of cigarettes. Uh huh. And I'm going to be very sad. Yeah. That's... I distinctly remember. I went to a, a, a swap meet, like a like a flea market kind of thing, uh, right before college, and bought two uh, fake Abercrombie & Fish t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I'd seen on TV that they yeah. were pretty cool. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And like, so I like it. Even with the knockoff Abercrombie & Fish, all mm. I could steal for was two t-shirts. <laughs> and so with these shirts, I came, I came to APU with high hopes. Yeah. I was like, people are going to see the cool guy with the yeah. Abercrombie & Fish. People are going to start paying attention yeah. to me now. And I'm going to start making people laugh. Like, I'm, I was just like, I tried to hit on, like, I tried to hit on girls that would ultimately become my friends. But yeah. I, uh, Remember too, like Jamie and Suze, I like skateboarded by them and then fell off on purpose. Mm-hmm. And I got up and like, ah, oh, sorry, ladies, I just lost my balance by seeing the side of you two lovely gals. And, uh, <laughs> oh no! Then they started laughing, you know. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh well, friendship's pretty cool. <laughs> friendship's pretty cool. Yeah, at least I can smell them. But I would just, I don't know. Yeah, I just try to be funny, yeah. I guess. You know, and then every, then you, well, that's like everybody tries to be funny with their friends, though. You know. Yeah. Well, what happened when uh, you, you you were out there for three years, and then obviously the extenuating circumstances that you were talking about brought you back out here. When was the decision made in your head that like I can't do this? I should. I gotta throw my my hat in the you know in the ring to actually um, become a computer. like I just knew like I needed to get out of New Jersey. That yeah. was like the biggest thing because I was like. It was such a small town, and like I just felt like I, I had to get out. So it's either going to New York or Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I just knew more people out here. Yeah. Two of my friends were moving into an apartment in Echo Park yeah. and an extra bedroom. It just like worked out. It was the easier choice. Yeah. So I, if an easier choice had opened up in Brooklyn, I would have mm-hmm. ended up there. But uh, I moved out, and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. But in my mind, I was like, I, I think maybe I'll take an improv class over that UCB. Yeah. And like people didn't really know about it that much. Like yeah. I mean, some people did, but like... I was kind of a comedy nerd at that point. Still, like, never really think I could do it. But I was like, I'd be interested to just go check out what's going on over there. Mm-hmm. To this day, I've never taken an improv class. Yeah. And I can't imagine I ever will. But uh, I, I hear it's pretty good over there. But I, ne- I moved out there with that in mind. And then I just got a job at the Cheesecake Factory mm-hmm. at the Grove. Yeah. Which was, like, another prison. Another mm-hmm. four-year yeah. prison. Yeah. All white prison. All, all white prison. It, it was it a was, um, nightmare. But while I was doing that, I got internships. 
at two production companies because mm-hmm. I was like, you know, like maybe I'll get into producing movies. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know anything. Yeah, I understand. Dude, I knew me. nothing. All I knew was like, I loved movies and I loved comedy. I was like, I'll get into something. I'll represent people. I'll, yeah. I'll figure it out. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm, I was like 24. Yeah. You got to get into that intern game pretty early. You got to yeah. get in at like 20 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Someone told me I was too old. Yeah, really? After like me being there for six months, he's like, man, you're probably too old for this. Oh, man. Because I was telling him, I was like, man, I'm working like every night at the Cheesecake Factory because they weren't paying me. Yeah. And I, I was like, and I don't really feel like I'm getting anything out of this, but I feel like if I just hang in, someone will be like, come on, kid. But when I got there, like the, I met, it was, I worked for a huge company. They're a huge hedge fund. Their name is on like, half the movies that you see in movie, in mm-hmm. movie theaters and i get there and uh there's like a 20 21 year old kid interviewing us there's like six of us mm-hmm. and he's like all right you five you're gonna go to creative and you sir you'll be going to uh the office manager helping <laughs> her out who was also younger than me so i got singled out for some reason i i think it's ageism i don't know yeah probably that. also i think every other kid was like just got out of Harvard or something like that. Yeah, well, obviously yeah. you're dealing with like you know the prejudices towards that and who their fathers are yeah. or uncles. So I get into the, like the office manager, but she shares an office with the CFO and she's there. Yeah. And she turns to me and she's like, "So what do you want to get out of this?" And I was like, "She she had my resume and she's like accounting. She's mm-hmm. like, uh, what do you want to get out of this job?'" I was like, "I don't know. Like I I'm not really sure what I would want to do." She's like, "Do you want to get into like her accounting department? Because like maybe I can get you in there." I was like, "I don't know. I was thinking like kind of like to produce movies." And then she like. <laughs> shook her head and i saw her shake her head and i was like oh. uh-oh and then she was like okay well you can help help her out and they're okay. like here's what you can do here's a box from ikea why don't you produce a desk <laughs> and produce them like five times a day every day <laughs> really you became the assembly line for oh dude yeah all i did was like carrying shit hanging up like frame posters oh, of movies around like their office like just doing all this garbage work for free. For free. Until eventually there was some log I passed where you couldn't do that to people who weren't in college. <laughs> and like the government had to step in. <laughs> had to regulate yeah. and, and keep you from, <laughs> from throwing yourself into slavery. Yeah. And then they were paying me like eight fifty. And like also I didn't have a car. Uh-huh. So you know when you do that job, like half your job is like going around getting uh-huh. shit. So I was like bicycling around everywhere. Oh man. And then also sometimes I had to get like big shit. So uh-huh. I would just like take cabs. Uh-huh. And I didn't take tell them i didn't have a car <laughs> you didn't, no. so you just put the bill yeah like, we need to get this in culver city and you're like culver Dude. city it was yeah oh man what a, and then eventually i i just sort of realized like mm-hmm. what i was doing yeah i'm like the stupidest person dude i no, i i i completely understand that i went through a similar thing where i actually ended up leaving la for like eight or nine months and uh, because i was the crisis you know just a you know a living situation that fell through and yeah. just working in the same shitty cafe that like paid me $80 for a yeah. six hour shift. And I, I uh, listened to this episode by the yeah, way. Oh yeah. yeah. I did. Oh, yes. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. But I went, I, I, and I, I was running $10 an hour and I did it because I thought I had to do it. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know what it is. I and mean, maybe it's, it's a strange thing that you and I were, were roomies t- together in college, mm-hmm. but whether it was something that was just instilled within us coming from a small town to a big city or whether it was, uh, the lack of preparation that we were given in college, especially oh, yeah. to the, like to actually working and things, but you got out and you just sort of felt up shit creek with no connections. Dude, whatsoever. I had no real world skills. No, neither at did all. I don't even. I, I, it's it's a panicky thing. Or mm-hmm. it's, up until recently, it's been a panicky thing to just park my car in Hollywood. Well, also, I had only been around Christians my entire life, yeah, yeah. and then like you get in the real world, and it's like that's not. It was really like, yeah, yeah. he's not nice. He's not being very nice. Yeah, or it's it's just like. It's just not like that once you get out. Mm-hmm. 
I, I felt completely unprepared. Yeah. Like c- completely unprepared. And a lot of it was my fault. Like I could have applied myself in a different way mm-hmm. at APU and like people have gone on to have career, you know, oh, yeah. have careers and stuff out of there, but you have to, re- it's like an internship at a movie producing studio. Oh, yeah. You got to really try to get <laughs> education out of there. Absolutely. And at the same time, I don't know of anybody that, uh, that is actually working, at least in, in what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, yeah. no one working in entertainment. I mean, you can certainly work around it in the, yeah. in the periphery and that kind of a thing. But I don't know of anybody yeah. that is actually, at least to the level that we'd want to be or that we hope to aspire to be, is, is doing that. And so there's many times where I'm, I, I've gotten in and out of an audition and I realized there was a lot of politicking that was going on. Mm. And I was just sort of wide-eyed going like, I, just, I don't know. Like, how else are you supposed to talk yeah. to a casting director or, or any number of those things? Well, I remember when I got to APU, like, a brief part of my mind flirted with the idea of getting into the film program there. Yeah. And then, like, I was like, I was like, oh, it's the first year. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they're not going to know what they're doing. Yeah. Like, it's not going to be good. Mm-hmm. And, but it's like, well, like, I either had to do it now. Like, the idea never really came to me to, like, go to a different school. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe if you're really interested in this, you should yeah. go somewhere else that does have a good one. Yeah. I was like, oh, the one here is shitty. I guess I'll get an accounting degree instead. Mm-hmm. It's a strange thing. You just get so, you just sort of deal with stuff mm-hmm. uh, um, and, and roll with the punches because, you know, you never really taught to fight for something. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to be peaceful. Plus, this world is only temporary, bro. <laughs> so, it's not, it's not this world I'm worried about. <laughs> yeah, man. Why, why, you don't store, store up your treasures in heaven, bro. Yeah. It's a big house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you're quoting audio adrenaline. Well, actually, my, the guy I do most of my comedy stuff with, like, we produce a show in Covina, actually, yeah. every week. And uh, he's a ex-youth youth pastor uh, yeah. from a mega church in West Covina. Oh, dang. And so he has that, like, Kinnison vibe where he is preaching. Yeah. And he'll drop scripture on stage sometimes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and then the crowd's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh-huh. like, I have no context for this. Yeah, but I, I, it's hard to separate it out of your life. Like, uh, Oh, it's in there. Yeah. It's, it's in the bones, man. I mean, it's always I, in there. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the difficulty about the, the culture is that it, 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 it serves itself. You can't escape it and then feel like you're able to function you know mm-hmm. you have to continue it and then move forward with it and obviously it's a it's a fairly new experiment there's no other people like that you know mm-hmm. with us before obviously you know from a puritanical society in like the 30s 40s and 50s everybody just was christian or they just didn't really observe and were naturally christian unless they were from parts uh, mm-hmm. elsewhere but now that we you've got the jesus freaks who had kids in the yeah. 70s you know they they and were able to make their own music with the you know the availability of of recording equipment and that number and any number of things and production companies and, and, and all that working its way into being hyper specific. And so all this, all these things were tailor made for us and tailor made for a a small section of society. And it wasn't necessarily, I've thought about it here and there. I wasn't necessarily, uh, created to be its own thing. It was created to be a facsimile and a, a diet quote unquote version of the Mm -hmm. regular thing, you know? Well, I think it's a, if you live the lifestyle, you're going to be safe. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like a very safe way to get through life. Yeah. And also like, I think a lot of Christians are really happy, yeah. you know, cause like they have, it's like, you know, like how you have the music world. There is a whole world to it. Yeah. Like you found where you enjoy being. Mm-hmm. And like, that's how I found with comedy. Like yeah. people find that with going to church Yeah, and just like, instead of going to open mics every night and hang mm-hmm. with shitty comedians, they're like, Doing Bible studies a few times a week, or yeah. like church, it's just like a world. It's something to get you through life. Yeah, which is strange because it, it's it becomes less less of a faith and more of uh, more of you know a culture. Yeah, it's like a lifestyle. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah. all my most of my parents' friends were from church and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And like 
a few scattered yeah. like other ones, but like, yeah, it's just like the world you get into. Yeah. You go to church anymore? No, dude. No. <laughs> I mean, I stopped in at APU. Yeah. Like I, I basically, actually I stopped senior year of high school. I got a job on Sundays yeah. oh. for the express purpose of like, uh, and then oh. my parents were like pretty into me, like working and stuff. So they were like, mm-hmm. no, it's okay. Like I would leave church early. I would go for one, like, also, my church was three hours long. It was a Pentecostal church. Oh, wow. And we were speaking in tongues and healing uh, people. Honda, shit about a Yamaha. Oh, uh, yeah. Tons of that. Like, people are getting knocked over. Slain in the spirit. Slain yeah. in the spirit. Like, so it could go on mm. and on. And, like, you would get in trouble for reading a Stephen King book in the back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you couldn't just... There was... If we if you had an iPhone, it would not be that bad. Oh, yeah. But back then, it was hell. And... Uh, you just had your own thoughts to get you yeah. through it, you know? So then at APU, like, I figured out a way um, to, like... I went to a bank in Claremont and changed my address mm-hmm. and then printed out a bank statement and then changed my address back. Mm-hmm. Cause if you lived a certain a, a mileage away yeah. from campus and didn't have classes either before or after <laughs> uh, chapel, cause we had to go to chapel three times a week, then you didn't have to go. Yeah. So like I did all that. Like I, it was such an ordeal to yeah. like get out of it. Yeah. And like I used to go when I was home and if it was uh mother's day or mm-hmm. like Christmas or whatever. Yeah. But now I am not usually home for Christmas. So, yeah, yeah I just ha- – I have not been in church in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't even like – I think for a long time I felt bad about it, but I don't even really feel bad about it. Because, yeah. like, I have other family members. Like, one of my siblings doesn't go either anymore. Mm-hmm. Another one of my siblings does go. Yeah. And, like, we don't even ever talk about it, really. Yeah. My parents never talk to me about it, really. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty chill. Yeah. It's pretty chill. You can just kind of live your life. Yeah. I, that's why I realized, like, I never would want to, like, have a conversation with them, like, be like, oh, I'm not a Christian or whatever anymore. Yeah. But it's like, they get the, they get it, you mm-hmm. know? You don't yeah. even have to talk about it. And it's like, oh, you're 31. You're allowed to be whoever you want. Yeah. That's yeah. been a big thing I've only been realizing in, the, like, the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's really re- liberating and freeing to be able to yeah. express yourself. And it doesn't feel like, I don't know, especially because you, you're a cautious guy. I was a cautious mm-hmm. guy. I was the golden boy. I, by golden boy, I mean that I could do no wrong because my older sister was such a hellion. Uh-huh. And my little sister was sickly. So I had to be the guy that, like, you know, hey, let's rally. I'm going to make everybody laugh. I'm going to yeah. calm everybody down. And so, you know, being able to voice myself, which has only happened through, like, a, a, a lot of books and therapy, yeah. you know. That's that's pretty much been the only way to get through the whole thing. But it's 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 a weight off. You know, I still have a hard time telling people what I actually feel in general. You know, I I yeah. you know, just like talking to my agents or talking to to people in business and that mm-hmm. sort of thing going like, "Hey, maybe we can uh, So you got back out here. Let's go back to the you actually making the move, you mm-hmm. know, being ballsy and actually like going like, "Nah, I can't." Now, you moved out here to Echo Park and when did what did you start to to start to try to do comedy? Um, that happened, uh, right up, basically right after I stopped working in the production companies. I did that yeah. stuff for like a year. Uh-huh. And then, uh, what the, the saddest like couple months of my life was yeah. like right after I had quit those jobs, then I was only a server at the cheesecake factory, the oh, Grove. That's... And I was like 26 and I was like, I don't know what is going on. Like, I don't know why I'm out here. Mm-hmm. I can't go back. Yeah. Cause I told my family I was going to like figure out what, who I was out yeah. here. I can't <laughs> leave. And like, I don't even want to leave, but I'm like. I don't want to be doing what I'm doing. Yeah. But uh, I met this this guy I had worked with uh, at the Cheesecake Factory, but he only worked day shifts. And mm-hmm. I, I never understood why people would only work in the day because it wasn't as much money. Yeah. Uh, he told me he was a comedian. I was like, that doesn't seem possible. <laughs> like, <laughs> that doesn't this seem guy feasible. does not seem like a funny dude to me. But uh, he uh, he invited me out to one of his shows. Mm-hmm. So I go to this show out at Malo in Silver Lake, this Mexican restaurant. Yeah. that has uh, two... 
I guess, showrooms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no stage, really, I think. You, I think you just stand at the same level with the crowd. But uh, this woman was running this huge scam. She still runs them. Yeah. She, they're bringer shows. Is it, you, oh, pay-to-play kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, it's like you had to bring 10 people mm-hmm. to get a 10-minute set yeah. at the show. So it's only people that are doing it for, the, for, for their first time, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. or in their first few months, mm-hmm. or like... An actor, generally, yeah. not not to negate actors, or whatever, but it's yeah, someone... actors have we, we have this sickness where we think like I could do it. I mean, or like they're told to do it, yeah. by the representation or mm-hmm. something like that. It's like loosen well, up, should, go out and should, do some shows. Yeah, comedy's hot right now. Yeah. You should get in the comedy. So like, it's a lot of dudes doing crazy act outs and like monologues. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so I went and saw him at this show. And by the way, this woman was running four of these shows a night, two shows, one in each room. She was making so much, so much money, and not paying any of the comics. Oh my god! She's probably clearing like a grand a yeah. night in this room because everyone's bringing all their friends. Yeah. And so I watched the show, and knowing nothing of all this crooked system or anything, I watch it, and everyone is terrible. Yeah. There are seven or eight. There's also like seven or eight or nine people. Like a long show. Mm-hmm. Everyone is bombing except for their friends over there who are like laughing at them and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, this is weird. Like I thought like comedy in Los Angeles was supposed to be really cool. Like mm-hmm. I'm thinking like UCB shows or something like that. And it's like, yeah. this is weird. Mm-hmm. But I was like, these people are so bad. And I had never seen bad comedy before. Yeah. I had only heard like those dudes from ONA. So like any shows I went to was like going to see Bill Burr or something mm-hmm. like that. I never really seen horrendous amateur comedy. <laughs> I was like, oh, I think there's a place for me. <laughs> you know? Like I was like, if this is what it is, like I can do it. Mm-hmm. And so I got like real trashed. I think that night after that show and I, I drunkenly Facebook messaged the dude mm-hmm. and I was like hey can you get me a spot one of those shows uh-huh. and he was like yeah you're booked to like next month so I had uh, I got the flyer and it was my name was on a flyer and mm-hmm. I was like holy shit and it said uh, at the legendary El Cid where Lenny Bruce has performed <laughs> and it's like oh. by the way it's the same woman who runs the other shows <laughs> she runs them at every conceivable venue yeah like all there's a, it's Car a, it's a network El Cid yeah El Cid could work yeah it's a good yeah. it, oh man it was it turned out like to be the best possible way for me to start doing comedy oh yeah because um like I was like shit I have a I have one month so I was living, uh, I was living with these musicians that I, I was working with one of them at the Cheesecake Factory. They're in a band called Tick Tick Boom, mm-hmm. local Los Angeles band. Uh, uh, good friends of mine, real good band. And, uh, I would, they were living in a place up by the 101, by the Howard Bowl. Yeah. Where it's like six apartments and each one has a, a rehearsal studio underneath. And that's yeah. part of your rent. Yeah. And you can get to it 24 hours a day. So I would I'd get off of the Cheesecake Factory, buy a six-pack of beer, go sit there, try and write, and then I would just hold a microphone that wasn't plugged into anything and like say a monologue over <laughs> and over <laughs> and over again until like six in the morning, yeah. sleep, and then go work at the Cheesecake Factory. And I did that for a month. So I memorized like yeah. this thing, and I had said it so many times. And uh, so many people from the Cheesecake Factory come, because mm-hmm. this dude told them all I was doing my first show. Yeah. And like, you never want someone to see you do your first oh, show. Oh, no, no, no. You don't I, want anyone to know. It should happen in a vacuum, technically. It should happen not in Los Angeles <laughs> as well. Yeah. But like, I didn't fucking know. I was just living here. So I probably, and then all my friends from like APU days mm-hmm. came out. Oh, yeah. And then my friend Steve, who I did a lot of stuff with, he came out. And I hadn't seen him in years. And like, he came out to watch. And uh, I probably had brought like 40 people. Oh, dang. And there was like probably close to a hundred people in there because yeah. all these other people brought the required amount. And she puts me up at the end because she doesn't want anyone to leave, you know, because oh, of course everyone would leave because the course. show is horrendous. Yes. It's, t- it's, t- yeah. And there's one guy going up after me and he has like a comedy central special. He's an Asian guy. He's not Bobby Lee. I can't remember his name, but he was going up after me. I had no idea who he was, but 
I eventually go up and I had like maybe two drinks or something. I wasn't drunk, mm-hmm. but I was shaking. Like yeah. my stomach was going crazy. I was like pacing, mm-hmm. just pacing, just losing my mind. I was like, why did I do this? I don't want to do this. Why did I do this? <laughs> and then I get like pushed down on stage and she's like, it's his first time. He's about to pop his Jerry. Uh, I'm like, oh, I hate you. <laughs> so bad. And right after she did a joke, oh, like a killer shark bit. Uh, and it uh, brings me out and like, I just like freeze when I get out there and I'm like blank. And then I don't remember performing, yeah. but I just did that monologue mm-hmm. and like it killed. Like I was yeah. doing like really well, but I don't, I was, I was just like in a, like, I just like basically blacked out yeah. into this set mm-hmm. and I get off stage and the dude from Comedy Central that was going up after he's like, is that your first time? I was like, yeah. He's like, you never did open mics or anything like that before. I was like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, what is what is that? Clearly, I don't know what that is, mm-hmm. or I wouldn't be on this show. <laughs> but uh, I was like, no. He's like, you should keep doing it, man. I was like, okay, right on. And then I went straight into the bathroom and threw up like four times, oh, and then sat in there for like thirty minutes. That's a hard bathroom to throw up in, man. That's it is. A, it's an intimate bathroom. It is. Everybody knows what's going on when you see it, dude. Yeah. So then I get out, and then like. I just like everyone was like pretty pumped that I that I brought. It was also like a crazy feeling because my entire life I've been going to my friends' shows. Like, yeah, all my friends were in bands. I used to see you perform with Sweet yeah. Daddies. Yeah, yeah. It was like, and I always was like, yeah, I'm going to write or I'm going to do something, and I just never did anything. Mm-hmm. So like, I finally did something. I think people were like, most of my friends that knew me a long time were pretty surprised. I think yeah that I had done that and that it wasn't a mess and I wasn't just like trash on stage or something like that. Yeah, yeah. and. uh I think from that day, I just stupidly was like, yeah, now I'm doing comedy. Yeah. Like, and I was just like telling everyone I was a comedian. Yeah. So I started doing those, the shows like just once a month. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, what is going on with the Los Angeles comedy scene? Cause I feel like I'm the best comedian in town. <laughs> and, uh, none of my friends want to come to these shows anymore cause they're $10. Yeah. And the lineups are horrendous. And, uh, then I, I went to this show called Holy Fuck. I don't know if you, have you ever heard of that show? Yeah. I have. It was at the downtown independent. Yeah. It ended running like, um, last summer and there's a new show there now called sleepaway camp which is great but it's a free comedy show in this big movie theater downtown it fits like 200 people mm-hmm. and i saw it in the la weekly went down met the guy who ran who ran it and uh he just like asked me what was a comedian i was like i don't know <laughs> and he's like what do you mean i was like well i do these shows where i have to bring like 10 people and i do them like once a month and he's like oh you gotta stop doing those yeah and i was like oh thank you <laughs> like, i really want to stop doing them he's like i run an open mic you should come to this open mic it was in an Irish bar downtown, and I went there and uh, brought a notebook and like tried to read a monologue. And I went up like towards the end of the night, and everybody was like, "It's really clicky. Everybody knows each other. They're yeah. all friends. They're all laughing at each other. And they don't know who who you are. Who are you? Who are yeah, you? Yeah. And I went with Travis, mm-hmm. and then their friend Steve Spade, and then this guy Steve Fernandez, who mm-hmm. I do all my stuff with. Uh, we all went, and like Travis, and me was like, "This is fucking stupid," uh-huh. and I'm not doing this. <laughs> and then, uh, like me and Steve went up, and I went up there. I was shaking, shaking so bad, like I couldn't. The mic was just shaking. Oh, Everyone no. was just kind of laughing, and then, like I bombed for three minutes straight. It was the first time I had bombed. Yeah, I'd been on stage like six times in six months, and then mm. it was the first time I bombed. And then I bombed for a year. A year of bombing. Oh yeah, man. Uh, I should say a year of bombing, but I. This is why I was able to stay in comedy was, uh, a doing those bringer shows. The first, I had a soft, like, you know, soft landing into comedy. Uh, I think if I had bombed the way I bombed that open mic, yeah. the first time I went on stage, probably would not have gone yeah. back. Mm-hmm. Just, they would have been too, hum- too humiliating or like, I just don't want to go through that again. Yeah. Or maybe I would have gone back in like a year or so, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't have kept doing it. And then the open mics, like 
they are oh, Los Angeles is not a city to start a creative career in. <laughs> no, it's a place to come like with heat yeah, on you. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh so uh, I'm fucked. But, uh, <laughs> <Hey>. like, <laughs> like everyone that starts here, you are kind of fucked because all there is is like the system of open mics, basically. Uh-huh. And like uh, people that run these open mics run shows uh, or people that go to open mics run shows. But the shows are as bad as the open mics. Yeah. It's just the only people that shows up as comedians. So there's yeah. no like real crowd. You're just performing for each other. Mm-hmm. And for the first couple of years, it's just like kind of a nightmare. Yeah. Like, And even if you're good, people go like, that was a good bit. Yeah. And then like... If you're not popular too, mm-hmm. like you don't get on a lot of shows. So I don't understand how some people stay in comedy. Like I, mm-hmm. I know people through the open mics that I've known them for years and I've never seen their name on a lineup or like, yeah. and I don't think I could do that. Like, I don't think I could have done that. Yeah. Uh, but luckily like we would go to these open mics and like, I, I was terrified of them. Mm-hmm. Like I had finally found people that are like, Oh, these people are like really trying at comedy. And a lot of them like, they came here, they've been doing comedy for years and came here or they started here and they're extremely ambitious. Yeah. Uh, and like very good at networking, very good mm-hmm. at like just, they just knew what they were doing. Yeah. Like I showed up, I was like, I have no fucking clue what I'm doing. Like someone give me a desk from Ikea to put together, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so like we were just bombing, like me and Steve were the only ones that out of the four, we, me and him stuck it out. Mm-hmm. And I would sometimes go down these mics and like, I would take the train down there and I'd walk and then I would get to the door of the mic and then I would just keep walking. Really? Because I was like, I can't do it. Like, I cannot do it. And I was only doing like two or three, maybe four a week at this time, going out Mm -hmm. like four nights a week. Yeah. And then then I like, I had made like one or two friends and like, I noticed one of them, he would always leave this open mic I was at and then come back like an hour and a half later and do a set. He would sign up, save for the lottery, leave. And I was like, where do you go when you do that? And he's like, oh, I'm signing up like all over town and I'm doing like four or five spots a night. Oh, dang. Yeah. And I was like, you can do that. And I was like, I couldn't believe that you could do that. Yeah. Because I was at the beginning, like getting up one to three times a week. Like that's not enough. And it's only three minutes a time. And if you bomb the whole time, like it's so hard to go back next yeah. week. Mm-hmm. Like, and you have to have written new stuff. And it's like, if this doesn't work, like, am I ever going to feel the way I felt like that first time I got on stage. Yeah. Well, you're always chasing that mm-hmm. initial high, that initial, because yeah. you know, you, that, and that happens, that's the sophomore album slump just in general yeah. for anything creative, you know, everything that you've been building up, you're tw- at that point, yeah. what, 26 years that you had been building up and then you finally like unleashed it all into mm-hmm. a hot crowd. Yeah. And then, yeah, from, from there. Yeah. And then that got taken away. That crowd got taken away because your friends yeah. get over it that you're doing it. Yeah. Your, your friends are good for maybe like three shows. Yeah. And piece. then also you don't ask them to go to any shows unless they're important yeah. shows. Yeah. Those are like the, at mm-hmm. this point, like I'll just ask like, I, at this point I barely even ask anyone to come. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> besides putting on Facebook, but uh, my friend who I keep mentioning, Steve Hernandez, uh, he is a bartender at this bar in Covina called the Chatterbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't really around, I think, when we were going there. And, like, uh, I never went there when I was living there. But uh, his, a friend, a fa- family friend of his bought it, like, kind of made it a little nicer. There's a crowd in there of, like, mid, mid-20s to, like, early 30s usually. Just yeah. wor- wor- people that live in Covina. Working Joe's. And that's commuters. their place to hang yeah. out. So Steve started this comedy show. And he had done one, like, a couple times before. But it was just all people from TGI Fridays yeah. doing it to other people from TGI Fridays yeah. that were in the crowd. And then when I started doing comedy steve started and we're like let's try and do a show at the chatterbox yeah so we started doing it like once a month and he would always put me on mm-hmm. like every month so we would get like 40 to 50 people 
mm-hmm. of real people, which is like all month long. You don't get in front of more than like four real people, yeah. any performance you do. Yeah. So at the end of the month, I knew there was like this carrot dangling of like a real crowd. So I'd write like a new 10 minutes every month, which I do not do now. <laughs> but back then we were writing like new tens every month and we'd be like me and Steve would go up and then we'd like get these open micers to come out. Mm-hmm. And we like, at the time we were so naive, we like thought these were big names. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, the guy that's at the top rung of the open mics, uh, like <laughs> alternative open mic comedy <laughs> scene, they'll go wild for him. Uh, absolutely. So we were subjecting these people to like five or six open micers doing mm-hmm. like 10 minutes each. But you started to find out like some of you, some of us know how to do comedy a little bit and you start yeah. like honing it in front of that crowd. But if I didn't have that mm-hmm. and most people that move out here or start out here, like, and don't know anyone, they yeah. don't have that. Yeah. They don't stage time, man. Yeah. They don't have, yeah. It's Los Angeles. Like everyone here wants the stage. Yeah. Everyone who's here is here for a reason. And like, that's all they care about. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's about that Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours thing, man. Yeah. But being able to put the time in and actually hone mm-hmm. it and push it and, 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 and to find out what you need to do. Like you have an initial like spark that, that pushes you and there's that promise and you can, you can ride that out as long mm-hmm. as you can. And that, you know, lasts for one person or another. But once you get burned past that and you start the, the veil falls from your eyes, you don't yeah. have a hot crowd. You're, you're working in front of strangers. Then it really tests your metal. And then you realize that, you know, I actually really have to come up with something, something yeah. good. I have to dig down within myself. I mean, I, I understand that. I mean, yeah, it's a similar structure in music. I mean, the, there's a few like predatory sort of like pay for play sort of a things. You get a lot of emails when you put up a, a MySpace account back in the day, it would be uh-huh. like, and all you have to do is just bring 50 of your closest friends, yeah. you know, tell you what, it's a matter of convenience. You just buy the tickets ahead of time. Yeah. And like, well then like I learned an interesting lesson though. Like my friend that told me you can do four or five a night. Like I yeah. spent my first, uh, First year, just in the alternative open mic scene, which yeah. is generally like Echo Park, Los, uh, Los Feliz, mm-hmm. Silver Lake. And it's all good. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of really good comedians there. But it's only a certain kind of, like, yeah. comedian. You know, it's Absurdist. Like, kind yeah. Of. Like, hipster. I mean, there's different styles, but it's all the same people. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just, like, late 20s, early 30s. Like, everyone has basically the same ideal out ideology mm. hyper literate with film and yeah. television also very pc you uh-huh. really can't get away with saying a lot mm-hmm. like or you can but it has to be polished yeah poly your act yeah you can't start to try and come up with this bit where you might be saying something a little too edgy saying something about women mm-hmm. saying anything about race yeah if you try and like work a bit in those rooms the first time the, unless everyone in like unless you're beloved by everybody yeah it's like no get out of here like really it's thought well they won't really ask you to leave yeah, but, but, they, like, but they'll shut down they'll shut down or yeah. someone will like someone yeah. will, they'll like the fake laugh or like yeah. that yeah. kind of stuff and i'm not like i'm not like i don't do a lot of jokes about when i'm not like a massage that misogynistic of a comedian or like i'm not extremely edgy mm-hmm. but like even like if you go down those roads a little bit or and you're eventually trying to get to like a thoughtful smart joke like, yeah it can be hard to work those out but i found out like there's different scenes all around mm-hmm. what like, are they man or at least you know well it's like i mean first of all you have like improv and then stand-up as well yeah and those are like completely different mm-hmm. and then some people cross over um i don't really do that i mostly stand stand-up but you have like the alt scene you have the club scene which is like comedy store mm-hmm. improv laugh factory people that just do those rooms mm-hmm you have like the the west side rooms by the beach so there's like a comedy club out there called the west side comedy theater mm-hmm. it's actually a pretty pretty cool 
cool room. That's a gr- that's a great room. There's all these bar shows. There's mm-hmm. like an open mic scene out there too. Yeah, where a lot of people that live in Santa Monica and Venice are fucking lazy and never want to leave there. Yeah, and that that's so what most of them. Yeah, yeah. There's like literally like west of the four or five. Mm-hmm. Like they'll only go to open mics and stuff over there. Uh, there was at UCLA, there was like a long running room at this restaurant right across from uh, campus, uh, Bruco Westwood Brewing Company. That yeah, yeah. was like a famous open mic that like Zach Galifianakis and all these like famous people came through like when they were starting. Mm-hmm. But people will like generally stay in their scenes and not go around. And then you start to notice that people that like go to all of those scenes and are willing to drive all over Los Angeles to do like four or five spots a night. Those are like the people that were a lot funnier Mm -hmm. and you could tell we're getting a lot better. Yeah. So I spent like, I felt like my first year in the alt alternative scene was like, I was so bad when I started and so not confident in being on stage and Mm -hmm. shaking everything. Like no one took me seriously for a pretty long time. So my second year I spent just doing it in the Valley which like because I live out there in Valley Comedy is like a lot of road hacks, yeah, <laughs> and like everyone's doing long sets, and mm-hmm. the mics go from like seven p.m. to two a.m. So you're just hanging out in the worst places with like yeah. prostitutes walking around, yeah. like <laughs> just like you're in Reseda, you're yeah. in Tarzana. But those rooms were great because like those people are pieces of shit, and <laughs> they don't give a fuck what you think <laughs> or what you say. Like oh, the people in the crowd are there because they've been there since like three in the afternoon drinking. Yeah, they do not care what you say. No, so it was very easy to like start bits, like get stuff to completion, and then like when I got in my third year of open micing, like what I started doing was going everywhere, like going back to the original alternative rooms. Mm-hmm. And be like, oh, I kind of know what I'm doing now. Yeah. And then people remember me because, like, I used to hang around a lot. And then I think they're like, oh, he's a little bit better now. And also, he's not as drunk on stage as he used to be. <laughs> was that how you had Well, I was nerves? terrified. Yeah. So, I was very afraid of getting on stage that first mm-hmm. year. So, and, like, I was just always going up late. You know? Yeah. I always sign up late or get yeah. pulled late. I was just afraid to go up in the front of the show, which mm-hmm. now it's like, you sign up number one. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, you get in and out as fast as mm-hmm. you possibly can. But uh, back then, was like... I was so afraid I'd be going up at, at the very end in front of five people and I'd be trashed. Like, oh, yeah. Cause you just sit there all, it's, all night and it's, it's miserable. It's the worst. It's the worst. Yeah. I've done that uh, several times, not necessarily for for that thing, but like the whole, like let's all get together and play some songs yeah. at this thing. And, and you, you want to, you want to be somewhere like third or fourth yeah. perfect spot, you know? Yeah. So I think when I came back to that original scene, like I was a little better and then not getting, uh, as drunk or not as nervous. Like mm-hmm. I was just more confident on stage yeah. to be up there without being shit faced, you know? And then, and then, like, I just started getting booked a lot more. And then, at the same time, like, the, the show on Covina has turned into, like, a giant show. A mega show. It's like it's like a UCB in Covina. I'm not even kidding. That's like, awesome. It's uh, the best stage time, like, I can get. And people that, like, everyone that does it is like, this is the best show in L.A. Yeah. that's not even in L.A. That's amazing. It's, How many minutes do you have? Uh, that's an interesting question because I'm about to, um, we're doing, so we usually do that show every Sunday. Yeah. It's a uh, nine o'clock in Covina, the chatterbox. It's great. It's free. Um, and me and Steve host together mm-hmm. and then sometimes we'll do sets or whatever, but we're starting this Saturday. What we're trying to do is do like once a month, we bring someone out to do a headlining set mm-hmm. so instead of a showcase like we usually do. Yeah. We'll do it on a Saturday night. Someone does an hour. So coming out this Saturday is Beth Stelling. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've heard of her. She's been on Conan. Uh, she's got a CD out. She's been in Montreal. She's she's mm-hmm. great. But she's starting to headline and stuff on the road. So she's going to come out and do an hour. And we're charging $5. We're going to pay her. And to get paid in LA for doing anything on stage is, kind of amazing. You know, it's yeah. like pretty amazing. Yeah. So we're trying to pack it out and stuff. And I'm going to feature for her and do 20 minutes. Oh, great. So I've done 20 minutes like 
three or four times. Two of those times have been in a bowling alley and mm-hmm. in Eagle Rock, actually. Oh, yeah. All-Star Lanes. It's right over there. Yeah, there used to be a show there that was basically, it's basically a booked open mic where four people would do 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And the host, Brandy, was like really nice to just sit there and watch us all do 20 minutes because mm-hmm. sometimes it was only her in the crowd, you know? Oh, yeah. And then I had a road like show I did in San Jose at like a dive bar mm-hmm. where I did like 20 minutes, but that was... That was a couple of years ago. So it's hard to get 20 minutes. Yeah. Like it's, it's hard to put that together in Los Angeles when most of the set times you do are three minutes, mm-hmm. five minutes, seven or 10. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard to weave a narrative of 20 minutes, you know? Yeah. So you kind of have to do it like uh, it's like micro, like you're like, okay, this could lean in than this. Like yeah. you work on sets and like yeah. minutes wise, you know? And um, so this will be one of the few, this will be the first time where it's like people are paying and I'm going to feature and do 20 yeah. and see if I have 20. Yeah. And I think I have 20. It's just uh, when you when you deal in such limited uh, stage time, it's like, am I going to be talking about the same thing? Yeah. Have I written the same joke? Yeah. Like, just mm-hmm. different ways. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to tell it. Over. So it's a little nerve-wracking, actually. But I do a lot of storytelling stuff. So yeah. So it's a lot of tags, a lot of, yeah. Yeah, I do storytelling when they have, and it has punchlines like, all, all throughout it. But like those tend to eat up, like, you know, five six minutes i used to run this show uh in someone's living room in koreatown mm-hmm. he, he runs like this this dive comedy venue out of this like studio thing that he rents uh and he lives in the back of it but uh i used to run a show called sessions with scott because i am so uncreative but uh mm-hmm. it was just storytelling show by getting trashed and so i developed like a lot of pretty good stories in that room mm-hmm. and then was able to work them out so i think i have you know the time and everything it's just it's going to be interesting to be able to do that much time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, I was going to say like, conversely, how much time can you like get in town on stage? I know you do the hotel cafe show. How long yeah, do you get? That's usually about 45. Um, so that's, you know, that's amazing. Yeah. It, you, it's, it's music. You have, you know, that's mm-hmm. one great thing about it is that you can actually, if you, if you can't really think of anything interesting to say, you could just, you know, play a four minute block of something that's predetermined. Um, and it's, it's obviously, you know, it's, it's hard to, get paid you know there's yeah. there's been the only times i've really really done well to like mm-hmm. actually do a profit to where the hours of work going into it actually were fruitful was uh you know like record releases and that yeah. kind of thing but i mean it's just it's hard to draw in la i i, I can it's easier for me to draw in in new york yeah. or san francisco uh-huh. or or seattle it's yeah easy it's an easier draw there than it is to to get people in la i don't know what it is it's the traffic yeah. it's that people get we well you people know. don't want to people everyone here yeah. is here to do something and yeah. they don't won't care about what you're doing it's not so special yeah like, it's yeah. just like it's not yeah if you're living somewhere else it's like oh my god stand up mm-hmm. comedy are you kidding me yeah. like well, even we'll come and honestly even in covina it's like that yeah i mean it's just, just far, far enough, enough away mm-hmm. so like rooms like that I'm, i want to do more and also my sister just moved to san francisco oh cool so there are tons of shows up there so many yeah it's and like, like they're always very nice about having people come and do it it's just mm-hmm. so expensive to stay there but now it's not gonna be that expensive to stay all. there yeah just pop in and pop yeah out. but yeah. ultimately like i just want to get on the road yeah who who would you want to like open for any, any particular literally anybody literally anybody literally mm-hmm. i mean yakov smirnov yeah like I do not care. I think he's down in the th- he's down in the theater here. You could go. Uh, yeah. I um I don't know if he, like I that might be his new home base. Like Acme, like Acme Comedy Theater has always been such a mystery to me. Yeah. Like I don't understand what they do there. I don't either. They opened one up in like North Hollywood too for a mm-hmm. second. I don't think it's there anymore. Yeah. They're doing these midnight stand up open mics that were actually great. It was drawing mm-hmm. people from the arts district, and then they uh they're just like oh we'd rather just like do these improv lessons during the day. But it's mm-hmm. like. 
Do no. I I have a hard time with improv. I know your sister does it, right? Yeah, she's a she's a member of the Groundlings. Yeah, there's nothing bad about improv, but it's just like this room could be great for stand up. So yeah. let me have yeah. it. You know what I mean? Well, I mean that's that's also the the two dividing wars between mm. the things like 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 comedians are just kind of going like, look, I'm I'm good enough to be me, and I yeah. I'm funny. Like, what do you what do you got a wig over there? Oh, you got you got to do a funny voice. Is that what you got to do? You got to yeah. roll around on the ground and pretend that you have like a weird a weird schismanism. Well, I I just said things that came out of my mouth. Same result. Yeah. Fuck you. I think also I generally. I keep getting roped into going to like 101 graduation shows and stuff yeah. like that, which is <laughs> not fair. It's like watching an open mic yeah. like, and telling someone it's a real show. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's just not the same, but like I recently did a show at IO West where, uh, it's a fun show. It's called Stand Up Massacre, but like two standups go out and do sets and then an improv team comes yeah. out. You know, my little sister did that with, uh, not, not Kyle Kinane, but, um, Kyle Dunnigan. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's she, cool. Yeah, she she did one of those with him, like over yeah. at, the, at the Hudson Theater. Yeah. yeah. I forget the name of the improv team because I don't think it was a real team. It was like one guy and friends. He just kind uh-huh. of put it together. But one of those friends was Rick Overton, uh-huh. and I was like, I cannot believe Rick Overton has to reinterpret my shitty bits right now. <laughs> it was like the most. I was so happy about it. And he told me after he uh, he thought I was really funny. He's like, that was great, man. And he came up and told me again, and I was like. Rick Overton, man, loves me. Send him a Facebook request. Mm-hmm. Ooh, haven't heard anything back. Oh, uh, hey, you know, maybe he's not so media Bit of, savvy. Yeah, yeah maybe. It's not, I don't know. He looked pretty sharp still. I think he's on there. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, that that is the cool thing about starting in Los, Los Angeles, though, mm-hmm. is you do sometimes get to perform on shows with people. It's like, you should not be performing with Kyle Kinane or, like, yeah. I've been on lineups with, like, Huge people. And then, like, one time, Bill Burr came down to this place called Big Fish. Mm-hmm. It's in Glendale. It is a very shitty bar. Yeah. Uh, with And actually, you can see there's been a comedy show running there for, like, 10 years on Tuesday nights. And it just all hell breaks loose. Like, mm-hmm. the bartenders are complete alcoholics in their 70s, and they heckle the whole time. The wow. crowd is just, like, people who do not want the show to be there. <laughs> and they heckle, like... The the host recently got like assaulted in the parking lot after. No. Yeah, there's a This American Life that Showtime series. They yeah. they did a piece on that bar. Really, where it's like Duncan Trussell was back there. Like all mm. Tim Heidecker used to yeah. perform there. Like all these guys used to perform there. It's like this super volatile room. And mm. one time, like very early in comedy, I got to see Bill Burr come down there. Uh, oh no! Did he just? Oh, he it was. Like the guy who does his podcast website was hosting. He's an yeah. open micer too, and like he convinced him to come down because he was trying to run a set for Letterman. Oh, oh like, yeah, he was trying to get a Letterman set tight out of that room. <laughs> yeah, and he gets down there, and uh, the, first of all, there's hardly anyone there. Yeah, and as soon as he gets on stage, like I would say, like the host was like, he's here trying to run his set for David Letterman, oh, which was like the he, wrong he thing he to say to this him. crowd. Yeah. And so he gets on stage within 30 seconds. The legendary bartender, this guy named Billy Dilly, come cruising to the front table, sits right up front, and just starts yelling shit <laughs> and like talking to him. And then Bill Burr is arguing him for like two or three minutes. And he's like, Wait, are you guys all comics? We're like, <laughs> Yeah. And he's like, Oh, what am I doing here? He's like, I do not miss this part of my career. It was just like, I mean, you get to see that shit in LA all the time. Absolutely. And for free. I I mean, I've seen like the best comedians for free. Like, that's the cool thing about starting here. But the thing that sucks is like, I think a lot of my, a lot of my peers, like you'll perform on a show that has a huge name, like Louis C.K. will drop in and do it. And like yeah. you've performed now with Louis C.K. Yeah. And you might have held your own or something or like did okay up there. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you're good at comedy. Yeah. So people are like one or two years in and are like, yeah, yeah. I'm the shit. And like I expect everything. And then when they don't get it, they're like, 
super bitter. It's it's the most narcissistic. Like, tell me about it. And then also, I th- you you must wonder the same thing. Like, people don't. It's just people don't realize what level they're at. Like, people don't have a really honest view of how talented they are or how hard they've worked so far. Yeah, and it does take it to honestly take a, a long, hard look in the mirror, so to speak, and, and figure out what you are at all times. You know, without yeah. without you know wanting to despair and get into a hot tub with a sharp. Thing, yeah. You know? Well, I'm only about I'm about four years in mm-hmm. to doing stand up, so I'm still like kind of just having fun. Yeah. And when I think about like making a living or anything, like. To be honest, I just don't even think about it. Yeah. Like, all I care about right now is, like, getting good at stand-up. Getting good at stand-up. And that's all I really care about. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I can, I have a pretty good daytime bartending job. Yeah. Not to brag, but, like, <laughs> I can pay my bills, like, yeah. pretty much. And, like, I can do this every night, and I can get really good at it. Yeah. Maybe in, like, a, I feel like around six years or seven years, I mean, I'm like, all right, maybe I'd like to start making a little bit of money off this. But, like... People out here are just like, they want it now. And then they'll like figure out how to be good later. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah, I just want to get on the road where like no one knows me and you can just do whatever you want and get, I'm so jealous of people from San Francisco and stuff because you can, there's all those outlying towns. Oh yeah. San Rafael, like all the, all Mm -hmm. those things. You can, you know I mean? I don't know. What what would, how do you go about getting uh, like middling or even just featuring? That is like, I don't know. I was hoping you could tell me. It's always such a mystery. It's like, it sometimes it really is like someone sees you mm-hmm. and then was like, hey, you want to, like, you want a spot open for me? Yeah. Like that, I know people that's happened to. Sometimes it's like you have the same manager or something mm-hmm. like that. They'll hook you up. Sometimes it's like, I, th- sometimes I hope that I find out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, I feel like right now you just have to do it on your own. Yeah. So like, this chatterbox show we're doing, we're like trying to like make that the road basically for us right now. Yeah. And then as we do these Saturday shows, it's like, we're going to be featuring for all these people next Monday, next Monday. Um, I would just say I have some gigs around town. Uh, I'm always promote. I would say come to the chatterbox on a Sunday. If you live in the San Gabriel Valley at all, I don't know mm-hmm. if you have any old APU listeners headed sure your way, but if you live within striking distance of Covina, Every Sunday, nine o'clock, free show, five to six amazing comedians from LA. You're gonna have the best time of your life. It's packed, the crowd is into it. It's like it, it gets crazy in there. And then if anyone out there is thinking that they want to try comedy, like uh every Thursday I run a room in Echo Park at Rafa's Art Lounge. Uh come on by, sign up on the list. I have some people booked, but I, I work people in. So come by. It's nice, four twenty friendly. Hey. Very nice environment. But come down there, I would say yeah, so Rafa's on Thursdays, Covina, Chatterbox on Sundays. Dude, you sold the shit out of those rooms. Why can't you do that for yourself, man? Because I love those rooms and I hate yeah. myself. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on that, man. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get and I'm going to come see you play, man. I've been saying it for years. Absolutely, man. But uh, I almost came, but my parents were in town. Yeah. And, uh, but when, uh, the next gig, we're going to have to do, I'll come see you. Yeah. You don't have to come see me. Okay. But I will come see you. I will come see you. Dude. And if you play that song in French again, I'm oh, going to lose God. my mind. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that was only a ploy to get girls, man. Of course it was. Course. I knew it, and I knew it would work, and that's why I hated it so much. <laughs> oh man. Oh jeez. Well, thanks, buddy. <laughs> Thank you, man. Oh, I forgot how funny that guy was. He's great, man. Check out Scott Lures online. Again, go check out his shows in either Echo Park or if you're in the Inland Empire area, go to Covina's Chatterbox, where he hosts. You can check that out online. 
If you guys are in the Los Angeles area, the first day that this is actually being posted, which is January 20th, I'll be playing backup guitar with one of my favorite bands, Fleeting Heart, at the Silver Lake Lounge. We're going in at 9, and it's free. And I'm nervous, because I'm not necessarily a side guy. I know how to play guitar the way I know how to play guitar, but when it comes to other people's music, and I know that sounds selfish and, and self-involved, but in all honesty, it's a dig on me, because I am not that good of a musician. Um, I, I'm a poet with a guitar. But if somebody said to me, you know, Hey, here's this chart. You know, why don't you read this music? I'm, that's not that's not me. I'm an English major. Come on, get off my back, man. I'm the weird arty kid. I'm the weird arty kid smoking cigarettes in the corner, being sad. That's my whole vibe. That's my thing. That's what I'm gonna project to you guys. Come on. Make sure to sign up for the mailing list. Continue to spread the word. Thank you guys who have reached out to me and given me recommendations on who I should interview and who have been giving me positive feedback about the show and about the music. As always, you can go to jakenewton.com to check out my music, check out tour dates that are coming up. Nothing going on right now. I'm writing a record, guys. I'm writing it. Hold me to it. Kick my ass. Ask me how the record's doing. Call me, text me, email me as much as you can. Get my ass in gear. I gotta wake up from this weird hibernation I've thrown myself into. I'm eating too much. I'm watching Twitch television. I hate me. I want a new me. I'm gonna go do that right now. After I, after I catch up on the latest episode of True Detective, because that's a really good show. Okay. Shark brain. <laughs>